So we've been using 2 Timothy 2.15 kind of as our starting place uh, for this study. Uh, and this study is on how to study, how to become students of the Word of God, how to develop our personal Bible study. You know, whenever you first become a Christian, you first accept Christ, you're encouraged uh, to read your Bible every day. And many times you'll encourage new Christians. You know, hey, if you can read five minutes a day, or perhaps we'll say if you can read a chapter a day, or we'll give them a reading plan. And we'll encourage new Christians to read their Bible daily. And then, you know, after you've been saved for a while, maybe you get involved in a Sunday school class, and you have a teacher that'll give you a word workbook and you read the passage and do the workbook and these are great things, great things that help us to understand the Word of God and understanding the Word of God is how we grow as Christians and how we uh, begin to develop as Christians but after a while, after we've been serving the Lord for a while and we've been reading the Bible for a while and uh, you're beginning to speak uh, King James. I've had people tell me that. They say, you you speak a different language than we do. You use all them King James words in your daily conversation. You know, you've gotten familiar with the with the Bible and the, the, the vocabulary of the Bible. You know most of the major Bible stories, most of the major teachings. And, and you know what? You, you kind of find yourself in a place of what else is there to learn you're not careful, you're just reading the same story over and over. The stories that you're familiar with, you enjoy. The passages you don't really understand, you skim over. And it's as if you reach a plateau in your Christian growth in the realm of your personal Bible study. And so as, we, as I was praying, as we were coming to the end of Genesis, and I was praying, Lord, where do we want to go on Wednesday nights? What, what direction would we have us, have us to go? And the Lord kept bringing me back to this thought of looking at how to develop our personal Bible study, how as Christians to learn to study the Bible deeper and to study it on our own so that we are getting more out of the Word of God. And so we've been looking at this. The last two lessons have basically been introductions into uh, how to study the Word of God. Uh, and so uh, tonight we're going to be looking at the third point from last week's lesson. Last week the third point was that in order to understand the Word of God, we need to be able to interpret it grammatically. We need to be able to interpret the Word of God grammatically. We looked at the importance of interpreting the Bible culturally, of interpreting the Bible historically, uh, and so forth and so on. Uh, but the third point was interpreting the Bible grammatically. In other words, uh, understanding what it says. Uh, and so tonight we're going to take a little bit of time and look at uh, understanding where the Bible came from and why it is important that we have some understanding of the original languages that the Bible was written in. Now, in our first lesson when I started, I said that we are blessed to live in the generation that we live in. And the reason for that is is because there are tons of work that has already been done. Uh, honestly, uh, I've never uh, taken uh, Greek or Hebrew. I believe you took some Greek. I know uh, you took some Greek as well, Danielle. I know John has taken some Greek there uh, in college. I'd never have taken any Greek or Hebrew. But with the tools that have been made available, I can find out a lot about the original languages and what they said. And actually, there are so many tools that are available to us now that someone that uh, doesn't understand Greek or Hebrew at all can still get a good grasp of the original languages. And so uh, 
we're not going to be taking Greek and learning Greek together as a church. I, I, we'd be pretty advanced if we was doing that. We're not going to be doing that, but we are going to be looking at some of these tools that help us to dig deeper into the Word of God. Now, I understand that these lessons are not actually fun. They're not uh, exciting. Um, but I believe they're helpful. And so I hope that you'll, you'll listen and you'll begin to apply these things and I hope that it challenges us to dig into the Word of God and begin to understand the things in the Word of God. In 2 Timothy 2.15, the verse that we're using as our, as our theme for this study, the Bible says, Study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and we'll get into the study. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness. I thank you, dear Lord, for the folks that faithfully come out. And Lord, I'm, I'm no Bible scholar. Lord, I never even uh, went to officially went to Bible school. And Father, I, I thank you that you allowed me to grow up in a pastor's home, Lord, to grow up being familiar with many of these study tools. But Lord... I'm no scholar, and so, Father, Lord, as I try to uh, uh, instruct and and show uh, folks uh, how to go deeper into the Word of God, uh, Father, I pray that you help me because, Lord, I'm definitely not qualified, uh, Lord, to teach. And so, Father, I pray that you will help me to be able to uh, explain things in a way that are understandable and a way that can be applied. And, Father, I pray that you will challenge our hearts. Uh, uh, Father, Lord, that you will rekindle our interest in your Word. And, Father, uh, that we will begin to get back into your Word. Lord, not saying that we're not faithful to read your Word, uh, but, Lord, Lord, that will find it, uh, Lord, a treasure that, Lord, we are hungry for and seek after, uh, Lord, that our souls might be fed. I pray, dear Lord, that you be with the children's programs tonight, be it the, the teens, uh, be it Brother Aaron uh, as he's teaching, Pastor Kent as he's teaching, Lord, uh, others that are working with the children. Thank you, dear Lord, for the ability to bring the kids in and uh, share the Word of God with them. I pray, dear Lord, that you'll work in their hearts. Be with us up here tonight, I pray. And, Father, we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. So, uh, it, interpreting the Bible grammatically. In other words, uh, this book was written some time ago. This uh, uh, translation that we are using is referred to as the King James 16. 11. Now, the world's a lot older than back in 1611, but that's further back than my imagination can go. And so if you go from 1611 on back uh, uh, to when the original uh, copies were written, this book was written many, many, many years ago. It speaks to the fact uh, of the truth of the Word of God and the value of the Word of God that a book written that many centuries ago is still relevant today. I don't think there's many pieces of literature that are thousands thousands of years old that are still relevant. They may be interesting, they may be something that history buffs like to look into, but they're not relevant. The Word of God is still relevant, although it's thousands of years old. I think that in and of itself is a testimony of the authenticity of the Word of God. But because it was written thousands of years ago, we need to understand the grammar that existed then so that we can properly interpret it now. Now, uh, in our uh, first lesson, we talked about some helpful Bible study tools. And so we have some Bible study tools uh, for the English speaker. Uh, two good Bible study tools, if you don't want to fool with Hebrew and Greek, uh, is the... Uh, 
Webster's 1828 Dictionary, and I understand Brother Harry went on a hunt for one of these and has not found one in a used version. I told him I've never found a used one either, but Brother Harry, you, you find the jackpot, you let us know. Um, but uh, anyway, this is a, is a reprint of uh, uh, 1828, Noah's Webster's Dictionary. The value of this dictionary is that the King James that we use, the font type, the, the letters uh, back in 1611, uh, some English letters were different than they are now. Uh, so some revisions were made in the font type and the correct letters, not changing the content of it at all from 1611. And, but it was in the early to mid-1800s when this revision was finalized. With that being said, this dictionary was written about the same time that this translation was finalized. So if you want to find out what the English words in this translation meant when this translation was written, a dictionary written in that day goes a long way. And so this is a great, great tool. 1828 uh, Noah Webster's Dictionary. You can have it new for about $50. It is an invaluable resource, this dictionary is. If you take a dictionary that was written uh, uh, even 15, 20 years ago, you will find that it has a completely different definition on many words than this dictionary does. So this dictionary really helps language changes. This is a great English resource. Another great English resource is a Rogers, uh, Roget's Thesarsus. I'm telling you this right here. You look up a word and it'll tell you every other word. That means sort of the same thing. Now there's a more dignified definition, but y'all understand that. It'll give you every word that is in the same family of the word you're looking at. It helps you grasp the meanings of the word. These are a great tool. So these are two great English tools. If you want to pursue the Bible in English, these are great tools. And let me just say that when this translation was done, there were 40 men involved in this translation. These 40 men could speak Hebrew and Greek fluently as if it were their mother tongue. Not only were they uh, able to speak the language fluently, they were all theologians, uh, they were all men of prayer, they were all dedicated to preserving the Word of God. And so whenever we do this study, and I encourage us to begin to understand the original languages, I am not at all taking away from this book. The, the amount of labor that went into producing this book and this translation has never been matched in any other translation ever. There is no other translation that has had the amount of time, effort, and labor put into it as this translation. And so whenever I see a word that is translated uh, here in this Bible, I understand that a great deal of labor went into making sure that we had the correct English word. And so I can read that English word, look it up in an English dictionary, and I have a good, sound understanding of what that verse means. So don't think that I'm taking away from this translation at all. I'm just saying that many times we can come to an even better understanding. You see, whenever we translate, Whenever we translate, the Bible was originally written in Greek and Hebrew. That's what is originally written in and some small portions written in Aramaic. Whenever you look at Greek and Hebrew, they are some of the most descriptive languages in the world. I mean, they, they are able to describe things 
way better than we can in our English language. Uh, very descriptive languages. Whenever you look at Greek and Hebrew, there is no question as to why the Lord chose those languages to be the original languages. Very descriptive languages. And so whenever we translate and we go from Greek to English, there are some meanings that cannot be conveyed with the strength of the original. And we're going to look at some word studies in just a minute that helps explain this. And so that is why it is very helpful for us uh, to sometimes go beyond English. And this would be this stack of books I have over here. This is going beyond English. Uh, there, is, there is a movement, maybe you are of this movement or know someone who feels this way. I definitely have people who are very close to me who feel this way and they believe what is called double inspiration. In other words, uh, they believe that the original Greek and Hebrew was, was inspired, but now the King James is inspired. Now, I do believe that I have in my hand the inspired Word of God, but I understand that it's an English translation of the inspired Word of God. You say, well, well what do you mean? Well, there are those who will try to correct the Greek and Hebrew with the King James because this one is more correct. There are those uh, who will say if we are to translate, let's say, a Spanish Bible, that instead of translating it from Greek and Hebrew, we should translate it from the King James because it's the inspired Word of God. Well, the trouble is, although this is the inspired Word of God, and I, I try to convey very strongly that this is the Bible I use, the only Bible I use, but if we translate from Greek and Hebrew to English, which is known to be a weaker language than Greek and Hebrew, then I translate from, Greek, from English to Spanish. You remember when we used to play telephone as kids and we'd whisper in this kid's ear and he'd whisper in this kid's ear and all the way around the room and every time it went to the next person, something got lost. Well, see, we need to understand that this is the inspired Word of God, but it's a translation. Therefore, to get the complete understanding, we go back to the originals. That in no way takes away from this book. It just helps us to understand the Word of God. And so, uh, whenever we think about that, we think about going beyond English. Now, I have a stack of books here that help you go beyond English. Uh, just to show them to you, uh, this is a Vines Expository Dictionary of New Testament Words. So this is a Bible dictionary. So this will have uh, words in the New Testament, but it will trace the meaning back to the meaning that would have been found in the Greek uh, uh, language. And so this is very helpful. It takes you back a little bit. These two books here are called lexicons. One is a Greek lexicon, one is a Hebrew lexicon. Uh, you can describe a lexicon a lot of different ways, uh, but basically a lexicon is just a dictionary, but it's a dictionary of another language. And so there's definitely more complicated definitions than that, but that's a basic definition. It's just a dictionary of another language. So this is a Greek dictionary, and this would be a Hebrew dictionary. Now, I cannot read these uh, as far as the Greek and Hebrew that is written in them. However, these two books are linked to the Strong's Concordance. And this is a Strong's Concordance. We talked about it last week. And this is the book we'll be looking at tonight uh, to help us out. 
but these two books use the same numbering system as the Strong's. And so if I look up a definition in the Strong's and I want a fuller definition because Strong's will give just a brief definition, I want a broader definition, I can take that same number and I can go into my Greek or my Hebrew lexicon, look that number up, and it will give me a more full definition of the word. So that's where the lexicons come in. And maybe later on we will look at these. I just wanted to show them to you. But tonight we're going to be looking at the Strong's Concordance. Now, the Strong's Concordance, I believe, is sufficient for giving the Bible student a grasp on understanding the uh, various Greek and Hebrew words uh, that were used uh, in the Word of God and give us uh, uh, definitions for their corresponding English words. And so we're going to do a couple example word studies tonight. Now this will just be like you're back in school. We're just going to take our time and we'll just do some example word studies and hopefully show you why it is important and why it's helpful to go back to the original language. And so first of all we will give a New Testament example. We will start with a New Testament example. And the one that I'm going to use is actually a very common one and oftentimes preachers will reference this in their messages if they're preaching from this passage of Scripture that we're going to look at. They will reference this and make, uh, make mention of it, so very likely you may have heard this, uh, but we're going to show it to you here in the strong so you can see the importance of understanding the Word of God grammatically. In John chapter 21, uh, verse 15 to 17, and I did notice after we printed the worksheets that I failed to write that. So right there beside um, letter A, it's the word love. And then right there, write that reference, John 21, 15 to 17 on your worksheet so you can refer back to that. That was supposed to be on there and I left it off. But uh, anyway, turn to John chapter number 21, verse 15 to 17. We'll read a passage of Scripture here. I know you're familiar with this passage of Scripture. But I want to show you something in this passage of Scripture uh, that maybe you know about, maybe you've heard referenced, uh, but maybe uh, you haven't ever seen it all before. John 21 and verse number 15. The Bible says here, So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things, thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Whenever we read this passage of Scripture, we see a word that is used often in these three verses, and it is the word love or lovest. Multiple times Jesus asked Peter, Lovest thou me? And each time Peter answers, Lord, you know that I love you. Very familiar passage of Scripture. We come to verse number 17, and it says, Peter was grieved uh, that he said unto him, Lovest thou me? And he said, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. Tremendous passage of Scripture. has been preached on many, many, many times. But the English language fails to completely convey the strength 
of this passage, and this is one place where we will see that the English language is not able to give us the full meaning, why it's important that as students of the Word of God that we go back to the original. If we look in our Strong's Concordance, if we look in our Strong's Concordance, and for the last two weeks I've been meaning to tell you all about some uh, apps that you can get on your smartphones if you're a smartphone user that has a lot of these tools built in. And so I'll try to remember to get to that uh, today. But if you go to your Strong's Concordance, and don't put that slide up just yet, brother. I'll cue you when to put it up. Uh, but you go to your Strong's, and the first half of your Strong's is just laid out like a dictionary. Alphabetically, it has every word that's in the King James Bible is in the Strong's Concordance. And so we just alphabetically go to L and... Uh, then we go to L-O-L-O-V, and looky here, we find the word love. And so when we come to the word love, we go down through here until we find uh, the passage in John chapter number 21. And when we find that passage, we see uh, that Peter answered each time in verse number 15, Thou knowest that I love thee. Thou knowest that I love thee in verse 16, and thou knowest that I love thee in verse 17. All right, well, so all three of those, if you follow your column over, you will see that it gives us the Greek number 5368. Gives us the Greek number 5368. Now, if we drop down here to the bottom right-hand side of the page, and we go back to that passage, we see that in John 21, 15, Jesus says to Simon, Lovest thou me more than these? Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Then he says, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And we slide over, we realize that the first two times that Jesus said, Lovest thou me, gives us the Greek number 25. Peter said, You know that I love you, Greek word 5368. Jesus said, Lovest thou me? Greek word number 25. The third time that Jesus asked, it also is 5368. So what in the world does all that mean? So if, you, if you've kept up so far, Ralph, you could put that slide up. Uh, wrong one. Just keep going. There we go right there. All righty, I got out of order on you, brother. My fault, not yours. All righty, so you look right here, and we see uh, on this slide the, uh, is a picture of the Greek dictionary and the Strong's Concordance. And right there you see uh, letter or number 25. So we flip back here to the back because in the back of your Strong's is a Greek and a Hebrew dictionary. We go back to the back. Here's our Greek dictionary. We flip right over to number 25. Bear with me. I, I wanted to have all this in my notes, and I'm like, I'll move too fast. I'm going to make myself look it up in the Strong's. So y'all just bear with me. This way I'm going slow, making myself go slow. Alrighty, if you look there uh, at the top of the page, you see number 24, then you see number 25. It is the Greek word agape. You've heard many people refer to agape love. Agape love is the Greek word for love. The word agape uh, uh, is the love that God has for us. It's the love that took him to the cross. It's the type of love that is sacrificial love. And you see the definition there on number 25. So the Lord asked Peter in this passage, Simon, lovest thou me? Simon, do you love me like I love you? Simon... My love for you is a sacrificial love. Simon, do you agape love me? 
Peter answers, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. But when we look at back at our Greek dictionary, we realize that didn't come from the word agape. It came from a different Greek word. It came from the Greek word phileo, the Greek word phileo. So if you turn over to 5368, 5368, and uh, we just turn over here in our Greek dictionary, and we find phileo. And Brother Hot Rod's got that up right there on the bottom corner for you. You see 5368. And it says, to be a friend uh, to, to be fond of. Now this changes the whole meaning of the whole passage. You see, the only English word that we had to convey both of those meanings was the English word love. The Greek language is much more descriptive in that there were two words. There's actually other words that describe love as well, but we'll just look at these two. The Greek language has multiple words that describe love. English language only has one. So in the passage, it says, Lovest thou me, agape? Peter, do you agape me? Peter answers, I phileo you. I'm fond of you. I'm a friend of you. Jesus says, But do you love me sacrificially? Peter again answers, I'm fond of you. Then the third time, and this, just, this is what brings this passage alive. Never understood this verse. I understood it incorrectly until I grasped this. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? I always thought that Peter was grieved because Jesus asked him three times. How I always understood the passage because it's the same word. But when we look in our strongs, we realize that the third time Jesus said, Peter, do you phileo me? Two times he said, do you have sacrificial love for me? And Peter said, I'm, I'm fond of you. I'm, I'm your friend. And the third time Jesus said, Peter, are you my friend? And Peter was grieved that the third time Jesus asked less. You see how this completely changes our meaning of the whole passage? Now we can read this passage with an English dictionary and we can get the understanding. Matter of fact, this 1828 dictionary would probably give you both definitions, but we have no direction as to know where to put those definitions. But when we follow it back to the original languages, we realize here are two different words that have both been translated to the English word love. So what are we looking at? We're understanding the importance of studying the Bible grammatically, understanding what it says, how it was originally written. This encourages us to get into the Word of God and understand it. Now, we also have, and did you get those two blanks? I kind of messed up my order, so it's agape. Show that to them there, Brother Hot Rod. Agape and also uh, phileo. And so that is your two blanks there. Uh, under New Testament example. Now, we also have an Old Testament example, and uh, I don't know that we'll have time to go through the whole thing here. Uh, this just uh, 
takes a while. It takes a while to put these lessons together, and it takes a while to teach them. So, um, but uh, anyway, uh, we have here an Old Testament example. Now, there are definitely Old Testament words for love. We could do that study. And here in this Old Testament example, we're going to be looking at the word sin, and there's definitely New Testament words for the word sin as well, but I just felt like we would look at love in the New Testament, sin in the Old Testament just for the sake of the study. Then... You can go get yourself a Strong's. Brother Harry says the used bookstore in Stanton is a good place to find a Strong's. Or did you buy all they had, brother? <laughs> they only had one and he bought it. But uh, you take your Strong's, you can dig into this a little bit further. Uh, but when we look in the Old Testament, there are, there are over a dozen word, Greek, or excuse me, uh, over a dozen Hebrew words in the Old Testament uh, that describe sin, describe sin, iniquity, wickedness, uh, so forth and so on. Uh, over a dozen Hebrew words that describe sin. Uh, I have here four words uh, uh, that are Hebrew words that are used in the Old Testament that are all translated as the English word sin. The first one is, uh, and I've Y'all forgive me, uh, agape and phileo I've heard my whole life, so I'm pretty sure I'm close on them, uh, but I'm going to butcher Hebrew, okay? So if y'all know Hebrew, just accept that I'm butchering this. I have studied the pronunciation. I've listened to it, but uh, I'm not a Hebrew. So, <laughs> but the first one that we have here, uh, and I have it on the screen for you, the first Hebrew word used to describe sin is kata, kata. Uh, and this is the Strong's uh, number 2398. And Danielle, you can help me later if I'm really way off on this. Um, this is the most common word that is translated sin. More, This word is translated sin more than any of the other Hebrew words that we're going to look at, uh, either this word or a variation of this word. And this word means to miss the mark, to miss the mark. Uh, so there's something that we're aiming at and we miss it. The first place that we run into this word uh, in the Bible is in Genesis 4, verse number 7, where Cain brought his offering before the Lord. Cain prepared an offering of fruits and vegetables, and he brought it before the Lord, but he missed the mark. This sacrifice was not about what Cain could do. It was about sacrifice and forgiveness through the shedding of blood. And so Cain missed the mark that God was intending for him and therefore he sinned. Majority of the times that you find this word, the word sin in the Old Testament, it is this word that means to miss the mark. Uh, the next one, I'm trying to remember how this one was pronounced. I can't even remember how I read it. Um, it's uh, Shagah, something similar to that. Uh, it is Strong's number 7686 uh, is the Hebrew, is the, gives us the definition. And this means to stray, to stray. So the first one is to miss the mark. So I'm aiming at the mark, but I miss. This word means to stray. Again, this word is translated in the English as sin. Both of them are translated as sin. But this one uh, is to stray. In other words, uh, I know the right way, but I've wondered from it. I've gone away from it. Uh, the next one, that, and we find an example of this in Leviticus 4 verse number 13. Did I put the references on your worksheet? Alright, so y'all can look those up later uh, because we're running out of time. So you can look those verses up uh, later. And th these are just uh, examples. Uh, some of these have multiple uses of this word. It's just examples that you can look up. 
Uh, the next one that I have here uh, is also translated sin in the English Bible, uh, but in the Hebrew is avown, avown. And it is the Strong's uh, number 5771 in your Hebrew dictionary, and it means perversity or perverseness. All right, do you see how we have a, a gradual uh, increase in the type of sin that we're committing here? First, we missed the mark. That's sin. There's what God requires, and we missed it. That's sin. Second, we know what's right, but we've strayed away from it. That's sin. Thirdly, we have perverseness. That is when we begin to corrupt and intentionally go against what God has intended. This is even stronger. Yet in our English Bible, they're all translated as the same word, sin. The last one example that I have here is Pasha. And this is the Strong's number 6588. 6588, the Hebrew dictionary. And this is to revolt or to rebel. This is, I am... I am turning my back and walking away from the things of God. So you see here, in all of these verses, in all these references, if you look them up, you'll see that in our English Bible, it's translated as sin. Not because there's error in this book. It's just that it's an English book. And so if we want to get a deeper understanding, we go back to the original because God, if English was the best language, that's what he would have originally put it in. He knew that the most descriptive languages was Greek and Hebrew. Therefore, that is what it was originally recorded in. So if we want to understand the Word of God, if we want to develop our Bible study, then we need to be able to go back. And boy, I'm telling you what, it takes a little bit of time to learn to use a Strong's Concordance. But boy, once you learn to use one, it is invaluable in helping you be able to go back and to look and to see uh, what these words mean and what did it mean there. And there's so many other things you can do. Uh, and you can see how uh, that the, the, the word uh, uh, agape, phileo, you can see where they were used and how different people used them, many different things that you can do like this. And this, this book is tremendous for this. And I was talking to Joel and telling him that uh, tonight we were going to be talking about how to use a strong. And I'm sure many of you are familiar with strongs and have used strongs. Uh, but some of you have never, never uh, used one. And I was telling Joel that tonight we were going to be talking about how to use the strongs. And he said, don't you get one of those with your first Bible? I mean, not, but, you know, being a preacher's kid, that's how it works, you know. You teach them how to read the Bible and teach them how to use the Strong's. I got my first Strong's that belonged to me when I was 18, but I had wore my dad's Strong's completely out by then. Boy, I'm telling you, getting in that thing used to be, I never sat down at the time. If I sat down to prepare a message, I had my 1828 dictionary, my Strong's Concordance, and my Knaves Topical Bible. That was the three books I always started with, and then I would branch out from there. But, as I said, and we got time for me to tell you about this, nowadays there are a lot of electronic tools available that can expedite this even further. I wish I would have put a picture of this on the screen for you. I don't know if you can see this where I printed this passage of Scripture here, uh, but if you notice uh, on this passage of Scripture, if you can see it, and you're welcome to look at it later, uh, after every, nearly every word is a number. And so this is a tool I use that's called eSword. Uh, it's, uh, I think it's $10 to download. I think is what it costs, is $10 to download it. 
and it has a Strong's Concordance built in. It has a Webster's 1828 Dictionary built in. It has commentaries built in. Uh, but you can take and you can read the passage just as it would look in the Bible, or you can change the setting, and it will have the Strong's numbers already there in the passage. And so as you're reading, if you want to know a definition, what Strong's defines that as, you just click the number, it brings up the Strong's definition right there on the page for you. If you want to go a little further, you can click another link and it'll open up these lexicons for you. That's why my lexicons don't really look used because you click another number, it takes you and tells you what the lexicon says. Uh, tremendous tool. Uh, there are uh, Bible study apps and tools that you can spend thousands and thousands of dollars on, uh, but I'm telling you, uh, eSword, I've seen and used some of the much more expensive ones, and I always come back to eSword. It's a, it's a great program, and it's cheap. Uh, and so you can also download this on your phone. I have it on my phone. I can look up uh, pretty much any word in the Bible, look up the Strong's on it on my phone. Uh, if you use iPhone, you want to use eSword. If you have an Android phone, uh, it used to be called My Sword Android. Is that still what it's called? I think they had updated it, uh, but it's My Sword Android. They claim that they're not affiliated, but it's exactly the same program. My Sword and My Sword Android is exactly the same program. Uh, and these are tremendous tools, and you can access a lot of these resources that I've shown you uh, for just uh, one fee, and you have them all available on your electronic device. Uh, I encourage every student of the Bible, get into these things. As I said last week, most, most of folks here have been Christians for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. If you've never dug in to the deeper truths of the Word of God, I challenge you, dig in. Those who have can bear witness that there is untold riches in the Word of God when you begin to take the time to dig in and see what all God has for you. Now, I could run a rabbit trail here about not having time, but I'll let you preach that message to yourself. And so we just, uh, we'll let that go. You can talk to yourself about your time management. But uh, anyway, uh, hope you're enjoying these studies. I know I'm enjoying them. As I said, it's a, it takes a good bit of time to put these lessons together. And uh, I really, with um, working on VBS and trying to get this ready tonight, I was beginning to wonder if we were going to have a lesson tonight. Uh, had a tremendous group of folks helping me, but... There's constant questions. What do you want to do here? What do you want to do there? And, and I told Miss Lila, I said, we might just be doing a VBS update tonight if I don't get some peace here in just a minute. But uh, anyway, I do appreciate everyone that's working and helping at VBS. Do pray that the Lord bless and that it all come together. It's starting to come together, starting to take shape. You're welcome to walk out to the tent after the service and look around. You may or may not understand what you see, but I guarantee you it'll look different Sunday night. It may not look any better, but I guarantee it will be different. <laughs> so, uh, you can go check it out. But do be in prayer that the Lord will send the young people in and that uh, we can be able to minister to them and see folks come to know the Lord. Did anyone else have a prayer request that they thought of during the lesson? Anybody at all? I do have an update here that I'm going to look at real quick. Uh, okay. So, uh, Brother uh, Eddie... Zwart was not able to get his prosthetic. It was uh, postponed, and so I was waiting to get that answer, so he did not get that uh, yesterday. He was supposed to, but was not able to get it, so pray that that works out for him. Anybody at all? Anybody at all? All right, if not, Brother Robbie, 
you right there behind the post, there you are. I'm going to ask if you would open us in prayer. Y'all do be in prayer for Brother Robbie. He's going to be going to Peru uh, into August. Pray the Lord bless and be with him. Brother Robbie, you open us in prayer. And Brother Ted, you close us in prayer.